Hello and welcome to Conversations on Craft, a podcast that brings together industry professionals for a candid and in-depth discussion on the origins of creativity and how to think and work in a creative industry. I'm your host, Matt Dollings. I'm the edit lead at Craft London. And in every episode, I'll be asking each guest where and how their creative journey started and how they look to the future. In today's episode, I talk to Josh Younger, who's the audio lead at Craft London. Hey, Josh. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. It's an honour to be here. <laughs> the honour is the honour's all mine. <laughs> no, it's really cool. And it's great to have an audio person in here as well. This is our first person to talk yes. about audio. The world of sound. The, the mysterious world of sound. Yeah. But interestingly, e- even as an editor, it's like, it is sort of slightly mysterious to me. And it's a dark art. Yeah, it is a dark art. And then it's like the, the terminology is tricky like if I'm searching for sound effects, you know, a lot of the time I'm like, what, a, what is that thing where, that goes whoosh or, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very hard to describe, isn't it, sound? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, good. Well, hopefully we can sort of unpack a lot of that today. Yeah, definitely. Figure out what's a riser and what's a whoosh. <laughs> so you're the audio leader at Craft. Can, can you tell us what that what that role means, what you do at Craft and what, what a typical day looks like for you. Yeah, so I'm a sound engineer and, and sound designer and what that world looks like for me, I guess, on a really surface level is any job that comes in through the door, be it myself or us as a department, we just try and make something sound as great as it possibly can. Sound is such a powerful tool to do that. From a from a team perspective, we're kind of looking at you know, really building our sound department from the ground up. And it's a pretty exciting time. Yeah, it's great. What are what sort of sound department do you have? Who's working here? And, you know, what kind of equipment do you use? So, I mean, from, from a team point of view, you've got myself and uh, G as well, and we're both sound designers. And then we've also got uh, a young Theo. He's kind of rising up the ranks and he's kind of moving into a, a junior kind of sound engineer position. It's a small team, but I think I think we've got a lot of talent under this under this roof, you know. Yeah, and do you do composition as well? I do. Yeah, my day to day is more focused on sound, but um, definitely music comes into that. You know, mm. a lot of people might see sound engineering and sound design as quite a technical skill. Yeah, I would like to understand how the artistic nature and the creativity aspect of that work comes into that. Sound is a craft, so you're you're kind of you're using the tools and you have to know your craft to be a good sound engineer. But from the creative point of view, you have to look at a picture almost mute and imagine what the sound's going to be mm. and then replicate that. And that's that's an amazing creative side to the job that I love. It's yeah. almost like having a blank canvas. Yeah. When, you, when you get like a, a picture, uh, it could even be like a, like a radio and there's just words on the script. It's okay, how do I actually build this environment or elevate something to be that mm. and you have to imagine that in your head and that mm. and that is the creative side to mm. it you, you you can't you know you've got your libraries and everything but it's you have to hear it first and then build from that yeah i think most people would if you say sound engineers and you start to imagine like a guy in a booth with like props and sort of like clonking things together to a picture to make you know to make yeah, like sound a, effects like a foley artist like a fo- foley artist yeah, yeah. so so is well, that true is that like have you done that yeah i mean so, so foley is definitely an aspect of it and i think it's it's definitely a craft yeah there's some amazingly creative things that can happen from foley in you know in respect to 
you know, to quote like some of the obvious ones, like the lightsaber sound, that was waving a speaker in front of another speaker to get that motion. And that that's a creative spark. Yeah. He's kind of thought, wow, like how how do I even create this? That, mm. that, that didn't ex- that sound didn't exist before. Mm. So you had to kind of imagine that. From the technical point of view, like you have to know the kit, like the back of your hand. You have to know what makes a good recording, how to manage um, compressors and and you know that hardware kit. Mm. It's kind of like you know you're looking at this desk that we're kind of by right now and it looks it looks like a yeah it's like, like, the, like a boeing 747 yeah control it's like star trek isn't it yeah like, and um it, it's so you've, you've got to know the equipment really well yeah what does an audio brief look like i mean how does someone do do, uh, do you find people they are skilled at writing audio briefs or do you actually find it's quite a challenge for think, someone to I write a good one it's very rare you get a good audio brief right. because it's not a tangible thing mm. so it's really hard to kind of describe it mm. and like you were saying to me earlier like what is a whoosh what is a rise it's like you can't really say it can have like a whoosh bang pop there <laughs> yeah. um, so, you, so you kind of have to decode what they're after yeah. and almost that's why I kind of like doing a pass first time a sound pass of what I think yeah. um, and almost showing them what I think they want and then they can it kind of opens the floor for them to say, oh, actually, I don't really like that, but maybe we can try something like this. Because yeah. I think it's actually a really hard thing to, you know, describe what people want from a sound. Yeah. And obviously there's like references and things like that. But mm. if you want to be original and not use cliches, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's very personal, I think. Yeah. And and I was thinking that sound design and music in a medium like film or, or commercials or content, it's sort of a bit like editing in that sometimes the best work is, is sort of going quite unnoticed. Yeah, 100%. Be- because it's sort yeah. of driving an emotion and it becomes something very subconscious to the viewer. Yeah. yeah. In a way that becomes a, a sort of an unappreciated maybe, I don't know, but... Yeah, I mean, look, it, sound, it sounds a bit crazy, but sometimes with, I think with sounds when you click play and you're playing something back and it almost goes unnoticed, mm. that almost means you've done your job sometimes mm. because it's so subtle and so right. Like mm. It just has to sound right, yeah. which is which is hard to do. Yeah. But if something feels right, it's so it's working on, on a subconscious level so well, it almost just feels so natural and, yeah. and, and you think how powerful sound is. You you know, watch a picture that's mute. You're never going to get a moment where your hairs stand on end. Mm, you mm. have to add the sound in for it to really mm. kind of make you feel, oh wow, like you 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 know, you actually feel it. I think that's the power of it and and what it can what it can do on a subconscious level. Whereas music will literally like grab you by the heart and and like really steer you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it must be strange to work so hard on a piece of work and then, especially in content and commercial industry, you're going to know that most of this work is now going to then appear on YouTube or or like, you know, somebody's phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a challenge, but then also that's kind of, you have to still make it sound good on something like that. And sometimes it's quite nice to just kind of listen to it on a TV because you think, actually, I've done quite a good job on that dialogue. Like, it's really cutting through really nicely it you know it doesn't always need to be like bangs and wishes it can just be like a really solid mix and yeah. if it still translates well through someone's iphone or a laptop you you can say yeah, actually i've done you've, you've done, done my a really job. good job there yeah and again that's probably more on the technical kind of sound engineering yeah. and, and like mixing side and more of the craft side yeah but there's still you know creativity involved in that and like knowing when to when to push that but yeah amazing where did your first sparks of creativity come from and where did you grow up and what culture were you interested in i think growing up i didn't even know being a sound designer or sound engineer was a career (laughs) yeah 
I, I, I had no idea. Like, it, it was kind of... I, I was always interested in music. Mm-hmm. And I always, like, in bands and, like, loved kind of playing music and and doing that kind of stuff. It wasn't actually until probably late teens, I think, by chance, really, I got offered something from free work experience. I think a neighbour, I think we were just talking, and I said, I'm quite interested in music and that kind of stuff. He says, actually, I know a sound studio. I think he was on the animation side, and he said, if you want, I can kind of put a word in for you. You know, you can maybe do your work experience there. So... I didn't even know that was a thing. So I kind of went down there and it was a complete new world for me. Yeah, I, had, yeah. I had no idea this, that existed. And I think from that point, I was like, do you know what? I could really see myself doing this. Mm. Like, And I remember the guys, I, I remember asking the guy, like, you know, what's your advice for someone looking to get into this industry? And he said, if, if I were you, you have to just nag, nag, nag. It's all about kind of creating your own opportunities and you, you really have to carve them out for yourself. Mm. No one's going to do it for you. Mm. So you have to kind of nag your way up, yeah. basically. So <laughs> anyway, are, little what, did What are that, your nagging skills like? Well, little to the, you know, little did that guy know, I ended up nagging him. <laughs> so I, I basically finished uni and, and just gave him a call and, and just said, like, you know, you gave me that advice. Well, yeah. now I'm kind of taking your advice and, and putting it back on you mm. and, and in the end I, I just got kind of grilled by these three guys in the room and they just said like what you know why do you want to do this mm-hmm. do you think you could you know work kind of nights do you think you can do this you know and and it ended up with me getting an opportunity basically of starting there amazing um and you know i only did like a, a bit of running there but it, it was kind of my end to that world which i always wanted to do that's really interesting so it sort of started off in music and bands yeah and then did you record anything yeah I, I always used to kind of like, like record using pro stuff. tools or something or i always used to re- just record stuff like just on like garage band or like right. logic or just um i think i went through all of them at one point right. all like all like the software pieces and, and just kind of like mucking around with stuff yeah and, and I was always kind of interested in it, but I hadn't discovered sound yet and what a sound engineer does or like film or kind of yeah. how that world of building soundscapes, mm. like I didn't know that was a thing. And mm. I was always interested in it from a music perspective, but I didn't know that that was a career, so to speak of. Yeah, that's really interesting. And interesting that you, you have this music side to you, so you, you can do music composition, you played in bands, mm. and yet the thing that's actually drawing you more to what you want to do in life in a career is actually build, building soundscapes like yeah. building worlds yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah well, i think i think for me like um i prefer being tucked away in a studio right i liked the songwriting process and just how quickly an idea can just develop mm. and and i think having that background and, and i also kind of studied a bit of art before that as well mm-hmm. kind of having that mentality of how you can start off with a kind of sketch and just develop it into something. That, yeah. that mindset also really helps. Did you at any point ever stop and think to yourself, is this career going to support me through my life? I think the thing for me at that age, I just didn't care. Right. I was kind of like, this is what I want to do. It just, I can't, it just I, felt right. Like yeah. You just were naturally drawn to it. Yeah, I can't. I, and, and I think it's you know a big part of this kind of at school, there's, there's like a big focus, like kind of not on the arts, I think. It's, mm. it's you know, maths, English, science focused. Mm. And, and actually there's a lot of like mathematics and science involved in in, sure. in music and sound. And yeah. For me, I was kind of felt a bit let down from that side. And I just knew like that's what I wanted to do. You know, you're young enough to kind of take those risks. And if it doesn't work out, you can obviously do something else. But I think for me, I 
couldn't really see myself doing much else. Right. And even to this day, I still kind of think, I don't really know what else I would do. To be yeah. Honest. It's quite an interesting thought. That. Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did the same. I did the same. So you nagged your way into this sound studio. Yes. And what were they doing? Film or So they're, they're, they're or? an audio postal. So, I, okay. so, so that kind of got me um, a bit of running experience. And I thought, shit, this is really hard. Um, and... I, th- I think one of the biggest, I don't say shock, but it was more humbling in a way, is I came out of uni, did pretty well. I was like, okay, like I'm industry ready. And it's pretty humbling to learn pretty quickly. Actually, you're not. Mm. It's a real struggle to kind of go through, you know, you start running, then you've got to move into transfer, then junior engineer, and then engineer. And, you, and doing that whole kind of rung is amazing life experience. But at the time, it just it just feels like real, real slog. And you, I think you need to have like a real ambition passion to do it and perseverance because if you don't have that mm. you're not going to make it through and I think um after that I then did nights at a music studio cause, and that was like my first kind of paid gig and then I went back to another I managed to get a full-time job at another studio in, in Soho and that's kind of where it started for me and I, and I really got a proper full-time running contract and and I you know you kind of learn on the job and, right and it took like a you know a good couple of years in a humbling way to like really learn my craft yeah and you have to be given the opportunity as well i think yeah what's run what does running in a sound studio look like are you just getting teas or what are you doing yeah i mean you're it's, it's there's like a team spirit so you, you're all kind of in it together with the yeah. other runners it's, it's a really shit job you have to kind of bring teas to the engineers if you know they don't often have time to get lunch you have to get their lunch and then you have to deal with like the hospitality side mm-hmm you know, you had to be in at kind of 8.30, get everything set up. And you were like the, the first to get there and always the last to leave. Yeah. Um, but I think what it kind of teaches you is that studio etiquette. And, you know, if you can kind of get on the good side of your fellow engineers, they might kind of see something in you and, and actually say, well, do you, do you want to see how I did this? And they might give you like a, just a, like a snippet of how they work. Mm. I think that's, that's what it teaches you. Can you remember what, when you first got your hands on the desk? Yeah, so I think I think what, what happened for me, I kind of used to do my days as transfer engineer or whatever, and then there used to kind of be a short film that would come in. We used to kind of do those in the evenings or voice reels. I remember like just spending some evenings just replicating what a job that an engineer did and just trying to like match it or better it or kind of trying to do it in the time as well. Yeah. And that's that's when you start kind of learning how to do it, I think, yeah. building up the skill set. And then eventually people start noticing that it doesn't take long if you carry on on that road eventually someone may just leave mm. and they look to the next kind of guy who's up and coming to, to give them an opportunity when it happens you just have to grab it and, and go for it and it is yeah. it is a bit like sink or swim but if you come out the other side then you've you know you've you've learned your own way of doing it and the best way to learn i think yeah what's your sort of experience like in learning to deal with collaborating in a creative way yeah i mean that's that's the thing i think you i think you've you're slowly learning that through doing the running through doing the transfer because you're dealing with the clients so by the time you actually get to engineering you actually know everyone you know you know who they are Mm. you know what language to use it's almost like self-training for that yeah by the time you get to that point you're almost there and that's kind of quite a big point actually because you can you can probably be one of the most like technically amazing creative people mm. but if you can't manage the room yeah 
you can't do the job. And also, like you were saying about how you're decoding people a lot of the time because it's people yeah. are not used to describing sound. Yeah. So I imagine that you're quite a patient person. You you try and lock in someone's vision as best yeah. you can. Yeah, I love that kind of collaboration as well because a lot of the time, you know, someone in the room will unexpectedly say something and it could be like a really good idea mm. that you know you haven't thought of yourself so you do have to really kind of take things on board as well and you know from a, from a sound point of view and then try and get into as you say decoding what do they actually want it could be something really simple or it could be something really complicated so it's really kind of subtle the nuances sometimes of sound of what you can tweak something really slight. It can make a really big impact. Are you quite meticulous in your processes? I feel. Like, yeah. I feel like yeah. I thought yeah, you would be. I think. I think for me, like um, being super organised is how I be creative. So it's kind of like knowing where everything is. Like, I don't want to be looking for stuff. I just want to kind of grab it and completely focus on the creative side. So mm-hmm. for me, I think that again goes back to like training and, and all of that's kind of drummed into you because when you're working with other engineers we have to be super organized because mm. you're, you're literally picking up someone else's mind and you've got to have like a synergy so i think organization is like key like your project's got to be kind of meticulous mm. and, and for me like oh, yeah. if, if my projects aren't organized i can't oh, think straight totally and also it's just courtesy i think as well yeah. like because you know it's embarrassing i think when you work at other places if someone picks up another project yeah. and you've made a mess of it for sure you're not the most popular person. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it's interesting. You come from a background of, of quite procedural training. But now I can get my laptop and download a piece of software and buy a mic from Amazon. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of interesting how the doors have been opened. So it kind of creates, you know, a lack of barriers, which is a good thing. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, a lack of process as well sort of is happening. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is kind of how accessible mm. it is. But I think I think that's always kind of the, like if you gave Beethoven Pro Tools now, he'd still do something amazing. Yeah. It's just the route to it's quicker. What uh, do you think his password would be? Beethoven one two three, <laughs> capital B. Yeah, but yeah. It, but it Maybe wouldn't it wouldn't pass the, the, the IT protocol, I don't think. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I think or just did it them. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I think I think a lot of stuff now, and you don't always need a big kind of crazy fancy studio. But yeah. this is where it gets into a technical and like almost like scientific yeah. realm when you're recording. You need to have a certain level of environment. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to sound crap. Yeah. And um, it doesn't matter what technology is out there, like on a very pure scientific level, Mm. like you need to have a certain number of things. One of them usually being, you know, a good room and a good mic, Mm. essential to get a good recording. Mm. That's probably something that I don't think will will change anytime soon. Certainly for thinking of ideas, maybe from like a a mixing point of view, you know, you don't need, you know, a desk with like 24,000 faders anymore. You can do things from a laptop, you know, to a certain point, depending on what you're doing, particularly the short form stuff. You can be super creative with not a lot. I mean, I, I love doing it and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about doing music and sound and I, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. How often does someone do the Toast of London joke in your booth? Not enough. I wish, <laughs> I wish it happened more, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, that... What is it like dealing with voiceover artists? I think dealing with with voiceovers again, a, a recording voice is an art. Yeah, uh, and I think as well with short form, um, we kind of have to be a, a jack of all trades. Yeah, in long form, you have someone that um, just does dialogue, someone that is a sound effects editor, someone that's a foley artist, someone that is a music editor, um, someone that deals with ADR specifically. 
voice recording is one section that we kind of have to have to deal with. And I think dealing with personalities, particularly voiceovers, can be quite challenging sometimes. Yeah, and it's challenging. It's a, I, and I've been in these sessions, and it's a challenging situation. You're dealing with their personality, so they have mm. how they want to, you know, come across, and they want to do a good job and how they're reacting to the script and the feedback. It's it's a very sensitive yeah. environment, I found. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think I think people underestimate how good voiceovers are. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of the time, um, and again, this goes back to kind of, we used to do uh, voice, you know, VO reels kind of as training. Yeah. So we met the majority of voiceover artists. Right. So it's kind of like, again, like a lot of the people that come in the booth, I've probably worked with them before. Right. And I may have even done their reel like 10 years ago or something. Is it quite a small world then? I, th- I think I think with certain agencies, yeah, and certain like brands, but I think there's so many voiceovers out there. I think mm-hmm. it, it really mm-hmm. kind of, you know, gets gets kind of muddled and, you know, and, the, and often, you know, celebrities will get booked to do voiceovers and, and they're can be quite tricky sometimes because they're not voiceovers yeah and and you you know like it's a real skill yeah do and you do you direct the voiceover artist as well it depends on the session sessions. it's kind of yeah. it's kind of like judging the room sometimes if i've got like a really you know great creative team i kind of take a step back and almost try not to say too much in some ways right but then when technicalities crop up i always kind of chip in so, for instance, like if um, they've gone off mic or a word's got kind of missed on the script, mm-hmm. I'll chip in. Mm-hmm. Or if um, the direction's not getting to the voiceover, like a lot of the time they'll, you know, they'll kind of confuse the voiceover with too much direction. Yeah. So you've got to be quite like aware of people. Often you'll get like a cue where, you know, like the room's kind of struggling to say what they want to the VO. And what happens quite often is kind of like need to kind of have a bit more energy and, you know, it needs to have like a lot more punch. So to me, that's kind of, can you go closer to the mic and and, right. and give a pace your read? Yeah. And the voiceover will immediately get it. Yeah. And, and that's that your produce, decoding. Is yeah. Sort of and that, and exactly. And that will kind of produce a more energetic read yeah. straight away. Yeah. So it's kind of like knowing when to chip in yeah. and, and, you know, saying stuff as well. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow, you have to. Be, so you are wearing quite a lot of hats. You have to be a yeah. people person, technical person, creative person, and this is why we switch off teams as well. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise it was that. I thought you were just goofing off. I, I didn't realise you were deep no, it, in it, deep it, in it. It depends, obviously, because uh, yes, another aspect is you know there could be some really urgent stuff happening on there. Like yeah, the files coming in, things like that. Um, so you, you know you have to you have to really keep an eye on everything. Every session is completely different. Oh, it's fascinating. It makes me want to be a sound engineer. Actually, it's pretty cool. De- there's I definitely... can say some other things that that may... <laughs> yeah maybe bring me back to, back to earth. But yeah, thanks and been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on and letting me waffle for I think it's been three hours, right? <laughs>